Welcome to Northern Goal, the football podcast from the Evening Express and Press and Journal. I'm Ryan Crail, and today I'm joined by Jamie Durant, one of our regular contributors, but we're not alone. With us today we have Martin Rennie. Now, if you're not aware of Martin's work, he is he's linked to the north of Scotland, but he has made a career for himself in the United States as a football coach. And he's kindly agreed to talk us through his journey to the point he's at now. Uh, Martin, how are you doing? You alright? Doing well, thank you. Jamie, what were you? You okay? Yeah, I'm not so bad, Ryan. Thanks. So, Martin, first of all, you were born in Thurso, I believe, or near enough. Um, how many people in Indianapolis have, have heard of that place? <laughs> yeah, not many. How many people in Scotland know, maybe know where Thurso is, but where I grew up was actually a tiny little village called Betty Hill. So... Not sure if you know where that is, but um, right up on the north coast of Scotland. So it was about um, it was about a thirty mile drive. So maybe an hour it would take on a single track road from Betty Hill to Thurso when I lived there. So it was very very remote, um, but yeah, great place to grow up. Really enjoyed it. Played football there. Got to know a lot. Well, knew everybody obviously because it was such a small little village. But um, that's where I grew up and lived until I was ten years old. What was your, your kind of your first memory of playing football in the in the far north? Um, probably I remember like playing for the for the school team. So obviously the school was very small, so you had to have like multiple classes added together in order to have enough for a team. Um, and remember we would play against the other like small villages, like you might have heard of Tongue or Milvick or places like that. So very small places, but. Yeah, just playing football all the time at school, at, at you know, playtime and all that, just always out playing football. And then I think when I was really young, I would start to play with like, the, you know, the older kids because everybody was, um, there was only, there was only enough to play if you played with all the different ages. So it was, it was great fun and really, really enjoyed it. And I think I've always had that kind of love for football ever since then. And that was probably around the time as well where Aberdeen were doing really well under, Sir Alex Ferguson winning trophies and my dad was from Aberdeen so it was just a really good time in football and just having fun living living up there. Given the places you're live, you've lived since, were you, when you look back on your, your youth, were you, were you aware of how small a place you were in? No, it, it is remote. <laughs> it's completely remote and it's not connected to anywhere really. It was like a long way to get to, to somewhere we would maybe go down to Aberdeen where, where we had like family and things like that but it'd be a long long drive and and like like i say lots of single track roads and uh passing places and reversing back so that you could get get further up the road and things like that so it was remote and i was definitely aware of that but it, at the same time it was it was normal for me it was home for me and i had really good friends and outside of the football there was like lots of uh like farming and stuff like that like crofting where it was all little sheep farms so I would would be involved in all the things with that as well, and and just really loved it. A great place to live. Uh, obviously, no worries with like shutting your door or having to lock your door or anything like that. It was just a lot of freedom to go and and enjoy life. A real kind of strong affinity with with the north of Scotland. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, my mum's from Dufftown, dad's from Bucksburn, um, and I grew up, you know, born in Thurso, grew up in Betty Hill. So yeah, big big. Affinity to to the Highlands and to the north of Scotland in general. 
down to Larbert. What was what was that like? What what's your recollections of that move? And was it was it a, a touch scary at the time, given where you'd come from? Yeah, it was. I think because I was about ten years old, and it, all I'd ever known was a small village. So it was it was a big change. Um, yeah, a lot to try and get my head around and, and get used to and, and figure out. I had that strong Highland accent. I thought I think most people thought I was from Ireland, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it just it was a lot to a lot to get used to. And um, again, one of the things that kind of helped was like football. You know, liking football, being decent at football, and having the chance to play with better players and play in proper leagues and play with kids my own age and lots of opportunities that weren't really available up there in, in Betty Hill. How kind of soon into moving down there did you get involved at, at Falkirk and obviously being a ball boy there? Yeah, probably maybe a couple of years after I'd lived there. Um, I'd gone and watched a few Falkirk games and then, yeah, became a ball boy. I remember I think I wrote a letter or something saying if me and my friend could become ball boys and we, we, were, we got the letter back saying we could. And I think it was one of the first years that Falkirk had been in the Premier League and um, it was brilliant because Brockville was absolutely packed. It would have like, you know, almost a, an overflow of fans when Rangers were there and Celtic were there. But I remember the noise with like Hibs and Hearts and Dunfermline games were always good. And I remember um, it was the year that Graham Souness was, or one of the years where Graham Souness was the manager of Rangers. And uh, the room that we would change in was right outside the away changing rooms. And the guy who did the Tanai announcing it to, to announce the team used to put in a match day program for um for the for the manager to write out what the team was and um somehow i don't know if it was intentional or not but instead of putting the names down of who was playing the rangers players signed the program next to their name on the in the middle of the book and the guy was the announcer was annoyed and he gave me the, the program so i've got this program where it's got like graham soonest terry butcher chris woods David Cooper, Ali McCoy, Ian Durant, like all these players um, that were all playing in Scotland at that time. And as a ball boy, you were like right up close close and personal. You were right there beside them where they came out of the changing room. And at Brockville, it was a really old, obviously, stadium, but they, you were really close to the pitch. Um, so that was, that was really, really good fun. I really enjoyed that. So how did it come about then in your when you're reaching adulthood or when you're an adult that you ended up involved in junior football I know you'd done a bit of studying and you were sort of combining your football on the side with working full-time presumably how did how how did your progression go from there to then getting into coaching so when I was uh, I went to university and when I was at university one summer I went over to America and did some coaching um, and when I was over there, I got offered a scholarship to play football in America, but I was already quite far along with my degree in Scotland. So I decided just to go home and finish it. And um, then I got a call from, I think, the same guy or a connect guy, a same connection asking if I wanted to come over and play professional football in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so I did that. Um, and when I went over there, I was there for a couple of years. The, the first year I was there, I actually and tore my knee, the, the cruciate ligament. And so it took me a while to recover from that. But when I was doing that, I did a little bit of work in the office and the sales and marketing and things like that. Um, and I really liked it. So when I came back to Scotland, I started getting involved in sales, but was then recovering and so wanted to play football. And it just worked out where I had a really good job and it made sense to like work that job and play part-time. I would train on a Tuesday and a Thursday, play on a Saturday. 
and go to the gym a couple of times, things like that. And then at the same time, it gave me a chance to focus on my job. If, if every now and then I had to miss training, then I could and things like that. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And it was uh, kind of almost like grassroots football in the sense of like very, um, very tough, uh, really good characters, lots of funny, funny guys, funny moments. But really, yeah, really enjoyed enjoyed it. Um, and it allowed me to do my job as well. And while I was doing my job, I was I was learning a lot about psychology. I was learning a lot about how to um, communicate effectively and how to set goals and how to kind of, you know, build build your product and, and market it well and sell it well. And I was thinking a lot of times that um, the things I was learning would be really useful in football as a manager. And at that time, it's happens more and more around the world now, but I'm not sure as how much it happens in Scotland. But at that time, there certainly wasn't a lot of like more thought to it, you know, in terms of like, okay, right, you need to try and build the culture of your team, and you need to try and have an idea of what type of players you're trying to recruit, what skill set they need to have, what's your style of play, things like that that have become quite common now. But this was, you know, when I started 15 years ago, that wasn't really that common. So. Um, I I started doing my coaching badges and I had a goal that I wanted to try and retire from work when I was 30 years old and start coaching. And um, I just worked backwards from that goal and, um, you know, went and did my coaching badges and, you know, learned the things I needed to learn if I wanted to become a manager. And then basically that's how it worked out. I managed to get my A license and youth license and all the licenses underneath it. And then I got the opportunity to come out to America and start coaching. And so I left my job um, in software, sales and marketing and started coaching kind of at the, the bottom level and just started working up. Was it was it a little bit of a shock to you, obviously, kind of moving out to America? Or was like, had you, is it something you'd kind of prepared yourself for, having been out there a little bit already? Yeah, I was working towards that idea. I remember when I did my coaching badges, I met a lot of good people, a lot of good coaches and um, had a couple of opportunities to maybe coach within youth systems at Scottish clubs and things like that. But I really wanted to work with senior professional players because that's what I thought would be um, where I could have the biggest impact. And also where if I did do well and if I did win, then I could have the most opportunity to to move up in my job and to get to a bigger club and things like that. So it wasn't really so much in... in shock of that it was just really a big decision to leave a very good job you know once you get to a certain point in life I was married with kids with house and cars and things like that it gets more and more difficult to to start something from scratch and and to take a risk um, I always had in the back of my head like I can always go back to business to sales to marketing but at the same time I was I was leaving a really good situation and so that meant that I really had to put my all into the coaching and do the best I could in order to make sure that I was taking care of my family and making a good decision, because it's obviously quite a big move, not just to another country, but a completely different career, and a career where in Scotland most people would think you've got no chance of being successful. You know, when you saw the reaction that people had when Ian Castro got the Hearts job, it was like anything different. You know, people in Scotland, it seems like, really rebel against it and have a backlash against it, which is unfortunate. Um, but it is what it is. So I was really determined to focus on on doing a good job. And thankfully, I've been now coaching for 15 years and I've been able to win a lot of trophies and get to a lot of cup finals and develop a lot of players and make a good living 
and see the world. So it's worked out really well for me. But at that time, it was obviously a big risk. What did the people around you say when you told them that that was the decision you made and that was what you were going to try and do? I suppose it was mixed. You know, some people would were saying, "Oh, that well done. That's good. That'll be that'll be good." Other people maybe were like, you know, maybe a little skeptical and thinking, "Oh, that'll never work." So. The big thing, you know, that's that I've learned in life is it doesn't really matter what other people think, but what other people think can affect what you think if you're not careful. So it's really important that you're able to become strong enough in your own mind to do what you believe you're able to do and what you're capable of and what you want to do. Um, and that means taking risks and believing in yourself and realizing that you're going to make mistakes sometimes, but you can learn from those mistakes and yet you can keep going, you can get better, you can get stronger. And I think there's a lot of people with potential to do great things, but they're worried about what other people think and they're worried about getting it wrong or, or making a mistake. And it holds them back from maybe doing something that would be far more enjoyable and far more fulfilling for them. Um, some people would say following your dream. Uh, but I feel like that's a really important thing in life to try and get past. You obviously had a, kind of a, a couple of spells at different clubs when you were out there. But was it was it fair to say, obviously, when you went to when you went to Carolina, that had a kind of huge impact on your coaching career in North America? Yeah, I think Cleveland as well. You know, Cleveland was a, a team that was starting up for the first time. I was the manager of a, what you would call over here an expansion expansion franchise or team. So it was starting it from scratch, and in two years. We never lost a game at home. I think we only lost three games altogether. We won the championship. We developed a lot of players, moved a lot of players to, to Major League Soccer and MLS and got the chance to go to Carolina. And then, yeah, continued that, I think, success there as well. There, we had much more resources, incredible facilities, great place to live, um, a, a place where players really wanted to come to. And so we were able to attract really, really high-quality players and and build a great team and because of the facilities we were able to really capitalize on that playing great football and and winning winning a lot so def- I think really all the places had a big impact one way or another but Carolina we went we got to a point where we went on a run something like 13 games winning in a row which is almost impossible in America just because of the travel and everything else um, and from that we'd won the league within you know way before the end of the league and that was then opened up the opportunity for me to to move to Vancouver so it was a big big uh, stepping stone but so each step was important otherwise you'd never have got to the next one you obviously kind of worked with Stephen Glass and, and Alan Russell out there now who obviously kind of just recently taken up the post to Aberdeen I mean was there a, a prior connection for yourself with those two had you kind of come across them before um so I think for for Stephen Glass, we'd signed Greg Shields, who you probably know played for Rangers, um, Charlton, Kilmarnock, Dunfermline. Um, and he came out and he was the one who told me about Stephen Glass. He played with Stephen Glass, I think, at Dunfermline um, and was saying, like, oh, he's a talented player and he's interested in coming and things like that. So we got in contact and just, you know, the normal process of like, okay, well, if you want to come, this is what it would be like and this is what you would need to do and this is where you would stay and all that type of thing. And it was the same process for Alan Russell. Alan Russell had had quite a good season with Airdrie where he'd scored a lot of goals and then he'd gone to Kilmarnock and I think he'd gotten injured um, but was back fit and healthy um, and he was really determined to come out here and he was calling and 
and uh, connecting and so on. And so they both ended up coming out. I think they were they were with us at the same time, roughly. Um, but yeah, they both came out. And the first time um, Stephen coached, as far as I know, he he came on a trip with me because my assistant wasn't able to go for some reason. And Stephen came and he was my assistant. We had a game away in Edmonton and he was on the bench with me. And we, uh, I remember we won that game and it was one of those games that was on that 13-game winning run. Um, and he was there in that season he initially playing, but because of some injuries, wasn't always able to play. But yeah, I was probably there with him when he first started coaching and helped him towards that, that journey a little bit. Um, and then I've obviously got to know him quite well over the years since then. And then Alan Russell... He was. Um, he would have seen. You know, there's a lot of individual training that that the players do over here. Like they can coach kids and make quite good money on. You know, in addition to what they get paid to play, and so he saw the opportunity to do that, do individual training or maybe small group, one or two players at a time, and he saw that opportunity to build that specifically for strikers. And then obviously he's done a good job of of you know building that when he's gone back to Scotland or I think England more so um, and built the opportunity for him to get continue on with the coaching so obviously what he's done with England um, he's got gained good credit for that um, and with some of the individual players he's worked with so it's a it's a natural step for him to then try to get into you know full-time professional uh, coaching and, and focus in on the attacking play and probably the set plays and, and I'm sure more than that as well so yeah, both of them came over at Carolina and I know them both well and I'm happy to see them there in Aberdeen. Martin, based on what you were saying earlier about Ian Catherine, I think we recognise that, that there's maybe a... If you're not an old pro that everyone knows, it's kind of maybe quite hard to coach at the top level of the game in Scotland um, or at least get your start at that level. If Alan Russell had tried, say, to start doing striker coaching, um, that positional-specific coaching in Scotland... Do you think he would have been the success he has, but just or do you think it's because he's managed to do it somewhere else where they're more open-minded to that and made a success of it that that's allowed him to then, you know, come back across work with England and stuff. Um, Alan's the kind of guy who would always land on his feet no matter what, and he would make he would make a good go of whatever was in front of him. But I think certainly it was easier to start in America because a lot of people are already doing that. Um, and then to have that opportunity with high-level players in England, that obviously gives you a lot more credibility. And then to get that chance with England, nobody can really argue it with what he's done there and how well England did, for example, on set plays in the last World Cup and things. So I think um, the pathway that, that he took definitely helped, but he's the kind of guy who would generally, from my you know, my experience, he's the kind of guy who would find that right pathway and, and go for it. So, um, yeah. Hard to know which came first, the chicken or the egg, but I think uh, it would be hard to start that program in Scotland because generally I think young players aren't used to maybe spending money on individual coaching or small group coaching and then it would be harder to get it off the ground and make a living from it, I think. I've seen part of your kind of your coaching team as well for a number of clubs was, was Brian Irvin. Was he someone that you you felt you worked well with and you had a good kind of working relationship with? Yes, for sure. He he was someone who's helped me quite a lot over the years. He's been in Cleveland, Carolina. He was in Korea with me for a little while as well. And uh, he's got great knowledge, great experience, fantastic person and someone who was always just encouraging and positive. And um, that's important, especially as a young coach, to have that help from 
people like him who are well respected in football and who see your your potential and see your talent and and encourage you to keep going and and to support you and so yeah he's been someone who's who's been a great help to me over the years and uh, has helped me have success at different clubs in in different parts of the world how did you come together with Ryan in the first place given that I think when you were 15 he was scoring the winning goal and the, the winning penalty in the Scottish Cup final yeah uh well kind of funny because um, way, way, way back around that time where he'd scored that goal or a few years a year or so later, obviously, he was in quite high demand at that time in terms of um, speaking at different things and so on. And he actually came and spoke at our Boys Brigade event of some sort. And he stayed. He came to my house for dinner that night and everything. So obviously, as a young kid, a little bit starstruck and um you know, excited to meet him. So that was the first time I met him. But then through a mutual friend, the opportunity when he left Elgin as a manager to come out, uh, to come out and coach with me came up. Um, and so it, it just kind of worked out from there. And say so the the success kind of you had together there, and obviously how well you did at Carolina, earned you that opportunity to go to to Vancouver and step up into the MLS for the first time. And was that was that kind of a big kind of milestone for you? Yeah, at the time I, I had a few opportunities to go to different places and. Um, Vancouver just seemed like the right place in terms of the size of the club. It's a very big club. You know, we would sell out pretty much every game, 20, 25,000. Um, huge interest in the team. Um, good budget, good resources. Major League Soccer is obviously huge. And I think sometimes in Scotland, people don't realise just how big football is elsewhere. Like, for example, in the K-League or in America, it's much, much bigger than people think. There's only a couple clubs in Scotland that are bigger than many of the clubs that are that are in these countries. So it's just, uh, you know, and it was just really a great opportunity to go to that league and to be a part of it and to be part of it. such a well-known club was great. So I believe you were the first, you kind of you took them to the MLS postseason for the first time. Is that right? Yeah, first time ever that a Canadian team made it to the MLS postseason was when we were there. So that was a good achievement. And we won won a couple of trophies there as well. Um, lost a couple of finals, but... Yeah, really, we did We did quite well there. We took the worst team in MLS, took them into the playoffs, made them one of the top teams, and yeah, really, really enjoyed it. And like I say, it's a huge club, massive media interest, lots of fans, um, and all across Canada, it's, it's a well, well-known club. And that's a good example of like, there's maybe, what, 50 million people in Canada, 5 million in Scotland, and there, you know, there's only really three big teams in Canada. So it just shows you like how big a club Vancouver is. If you're ever there, you'll get a chance to see like, the interest and the, the connection that they have with the fans and the history that they have. So there are some there are some really big clubs um, in countries like US, Canada, Korea that probably people don't know too much about in Scotland. You obviously got the chance to work with Kenny Miller and Barry Robson while you're out there as well. Obviously kind of two experienced guys who are used to the Scottish football. Was it Were they the kind of characters you felt the team needed at the time? Yeah, I think at that stage with um, development of the club there in, in Vancouver, it wasn't really far along because it only, it's only I was there in its second year in terms of in, in MLS. And so there wasn't really a, a strong foundation of, um, you know, recruitment and development within the academy and things like that so it meant that you kind of were trying to make the team better as quickly as you could but at the same time you were you were restricted in kind of the players that you knew a little bit about so with those players I knew they were good players good professionals hard workers 
guys that could could help your team be successful, guys who wanted to win. And so it was more just the fact that I knew a bit about them and I was connected to other people who who knew them. That was more how that happened. I think now, for example, the way the club that we've got here is run is like it's much, much more robust. It's built upon, you know, there's a style of play, there's there's profile for every position. We've got a whole list of players that can fit that position that are within different budgets. We've got a whole recruitment and process and strategy and a whole way of doing scouting and things like that. So actually the club that I've got here that I've been able to build over the last few years is far more advanced than what the infrastructure was in Vancouver at that time. So it was more just finding players that could help us in the short term in order to try and get this club moving in the right direction. And those guys definitely helped us do that. Would you say your departure from Vancouver, Martin, was like was probably the first setback of your coaching career in terms of it, it seemed to be a meteoric kind of rise before that? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, when, you, um, when you're coaching, you have setbacks all the time from day to day and week to week. So you have to overcome that constantly. But in all the other ones, I think I got to the end of the season in a place where you'd say wow we won we won a trophy we got to a final we were the top team in the league or the second team we were right there all the time we had lots of successes sold lots of players and things and in Vancouver we we did build that team from like I say the worst team in the league to one of the best but we weren't actually the best but I think the bigger thing there was I was quite young taking over a really big club and I had this kind of like sense of that you know, maybe like the Sir Alex Ferguson model of like total control of everything. And really that wasn't realistic. And it's probably not realistic at big, big clubs anymore where you have to just play your part and be a good part of the team and help to develop the whole organization and support other people in their roles as well. And I think I was maybe too eager to to really have that total control and have it the way I wanted it, believing that that would lead to the most success. Whereas I think what that experience taught me was that, yeah, we did have success we could have had more success, but to really develop, um, you have to be much more about the organization. You play your role. If your role isn't exactly what you want it to be, you just play it as well as you can and support others in the way that they're doing things. So maybe where I got frustrated with certain parts of the recruitment or the development of the club, um, that would be more the reason. It wasn't because we didn't do well, because we did have a lot of success. And I don't think the club's really got to those levels since then. Um, all these years later, unfortunately, but it was uh, it was you know a, a good learning experience for me as a young coach to say like okay, I need to play my part without trying to take total control of everything. And as I say that that maybe model that I had read about, learned about, grown up with, and had up until that point of really total control might not be so realistic at a really big club. So it's been it's been helpful for me to learn right. I've got to play my part and do it as well as I can. But I also have to support others to make sure they're getting their part done and, and feeling valued as well. After Vancouver, you end up going to Korea. But between those, was there ever any chance you could have tried coming back to Scotland or coaching in Europe? Or was it was it always going to be that new challenge in Korea? No, I've had lots of opportunities to come back to Scotland and I had other chances to stay in, in MLS at that time. But the opportunity I got in Korea was just a once in a lifetime chance that I was at a stage and an age and my family were as well that we could go and take that adventure on, knowing that it would be a life changing experience for multiple reasons um, and, and a chance to live in a completely different culture. Um, you know, I went and visited and by the time I got back on the plane, I, I'd, I'd made up my mind, right? I'm, I'm going to have to do this. It's such a chance and such an opportunity. So I was, you know, living in the middle of, 25 million people, which again, you think about that, Scotland's 5 million, 
25 million just in just in Seoul, South Korea, and I was living right in the middle of that. So some experience, totally different language, totally different culture, um, extremely high level of football. Like the standard of the players, the technique was just outstanding. Um, higher level, I would say, even in MLS in a lot of ways, although MLS has developed more and has one or two players on teams that are really you know off the charts. But Korea, the standard was amazing. The fitness, the professionalism, the facilities, the crowds. It was just a, a, an amazing experience where I learned so much about about coaching, but just about life and just about perspective on things. And for the first time, probably realizing like, okay, um, there's a lot of things in life that you can't you can't control or manipulate just by talking your way around it. And so that became really useful as well. It helped me a lot as a coach, you know, look at how do I communicate so that everybody understands, even if they don't speak the same language. So trying to do things a little bit more clearly with, with the video and on the field and things like that. So yeah, brilliant experience. And um, yeah, some, some big opportunities even to come back uh, to Scotland and things like that, but it, you know, it just wasn't the right time. And um yeah, maybe in the future, like my kids are getting older now, where I could I could look at opportunities um, in Europe. But after Korea, then coming back to the US and, and Indianapolis, it was like really needed to be in the same place for a while to to make sure my family were settled, my kids got through through school, and then obviously as a coach, thankfully I'm quite young still because I started so young. So yeah, the right thing in the future in Scotland or England or somewhere else in Europe or the world. Um, could be could be a good possibility, but of course I've got a great opportunity here, so really enjoying that too. When you've had the opportunity to work in all these kind of different places and different cities, I mean, is it is it easy to kind of embrace the culture there, or, or do, you, do you find at times you get so immersed in the football that you maybe don't appreciate like these different areas of the world that you're actually getting to live in? No, I think um, I, I do appreciate the different places and the different people, and um, have traveled traveled enough to like realize that you've got to you've got to take a step back and and just take it all in because if you don't you're missing out on uh, on a lot that's going on around about you so obviously your focus is very much on the job and that's time consuming and demanding um but in these in these places you it really opens up your mind to the fact that okay I see the world one way based on where I grew up and who I was around and things like that um now I've moved to you know America I can see other people's perspective um and some of those things are quite good that I could take on board and use to help myself and help other people some of them I maybe don't like and then you go somewhere like Korea where it's like okay these people see the world this way um and I can give them a little bit of perspective on a different way but mainly I have to adjust and adapt to their culture to their way of doing things in order to be successful here and so all of those things added together it's just a lot to learn and it just it can really I, I think like it's changed me a lot as a person helped me grow a lot helped me realize a lot of weaknesses and strengths and, and how to work through those and how to have people to help me so that I can be successful realizing that um, life isn't a, an individual sport in one way you have to have your own strong mentality but you really want to be doing life with other people who can support you and help you and you want to be supporting and helping others um, and I think a lot of traveling and being in different situations has helped me with that and I think it's also helped me coach players from other countries and other cultures and helped me as I've maybe recruited a player helped them maybe settle in and 
and knowing some of what they've been going through because I've personally done it as well. Do you feel like it's made you a better coach because you've been able to take in all these experiences and these different cultures and maybe if you had say been in Scotland for 15, 20 years and seen everything one way, but you've been able to go to different places, different cities and what, and deal with people who maybe see football and life in a different way. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I've rec- I've coached against some of the best players in the world and I wouldn't have done that if I was coaching in Scotland. You know, I've coached against Thierry Henry, David Beckham, Robbie Keane, Landon Donovan, Marco De Baio, Alessandro Nesta, like amazing players and, and I've coached against great coaches who've got excellent experience and so you're seeing all these things and you're learning all the time from them and from from how they set their team up and how they play in certain situations and how they adjust their team. And then you've been working with, with players like that who, again, they, they can do things that I didn't even see or think about, but I can put them in situations to be successful and they can help me be successful too. So, um, yeah, all you know, coming up against coaches who are from different countries, you see different ways of doing things. It just opens your mind to a whole whole array of things. You know, you play in Korea. If you're if you were losing one 0 at half time, it was like almost no chance you were going to score because they would, you know, slow the game down. They would they would waste time. They would defend deep. Whereas in Scotland, it doesn't really matter. It just seems like people just keep going hundred miles an hour till the game's over. So, they're not saying one's right, one's wrong, but but it does open up your mind to there's more than one way to do things, and that can, you know, all add up to help you be successful and. I think as a coach, um, you know, one of the coaches I like a lot is John Wooden, who was a famous basketball coach here who won multiple titles and, and was very successful. And he said it took him like 20 years or 40 years to become an overnight success. And I think what he was getting at is like if you're coaching and you keep learning, keep keep getting new ideas, keep getting new situations, being put into different positions, then um, as long as you keep learning, developing and improving – you can get to a point where you really have a lot of knowledge and you can put it all together to, to help you be successful. You're now at Indy 11 in Indianapolis, as we've touched on. What, what do you view as the the end the end of the journey for that club? Do you think, I know it works differently in America, but do you see the potential for being a MLS club? What, what, do, you see, what do you see as the successes that Indy 11 can achieve? Yeah, so... First of all, again, when I took over this team, they were the worst team in the league that they were in, but now we're one of the best. Our goal is to become the the best, the number one team, and we're on the verge of that, so we're fighting for that. Um, We have an amazing training facility, great place to live, um, but we also have um, a stadium that's been, a new stadium that's been approved, which is just going to be a brilliant, brilliant facility, 20,000 all-seater with hotel and apartments and shops around it and all that kind of thing so that'll be up pretty soon and once that's in place with the fan base we have you know we'll regularly sell out our stadium 12,000 people Um, when we have the 20,000 I think we'll sell that out and with the facilities we have with the success that we're building on the field within the infrastructure that we now have we have an infrastructure from the youth system all the way up to the first team none of those things were really in place before I was here but they're in place now so the next phase would be MLS, and that would require more investment. Um, but once the stadium's in place and the other things continue to grow, I believe that, that that will be the next step. And then I think we'll probably add a women's team as well and just develop the franchise further and further. But, yeah, it's a great club going in the right direction, very ambitious owner, very knowledgeable owner, um, excellent people working in the front office. 
and we have a very good team, lots of good players. We've got Cammy Smith, who played for Aberdeen. He's just moved out here, uh, doing very well, settling in well, and I think he'll do excellent for our club here. So, uh, yeah, that it's a great place to be and, and somewhere that's developing all the time. And, um, you know, I, even in the last recent times, I've had a few good opportunities to look elsewhere, but I just have felt that this is a, a club that I want to be a part of. Yeah, do you feel like you're in a you're in a place now that kind of suits you and you you kind of you can shape the the image and almost the culture of the club in the way you you'd like to see it? Yeah, I think so. I think that's been one of the things that I've enjoyed um, because if you're um, you know in a, in a lot of clubs, like I've said, um, you don't get that chance. You know, there's people there who are dictating things, and that's fine. And that, it's actually perfect if they're doing that and they're doing it in a way that helps you be successful. Um, but in this case, I'm given the chance to do that, um, which has really been great. You know, it's been a, a chance to say, right, this is how we would like to play. Um, to do that, we basically had to, you know, we had to win in the first year where there was really a lot of challenges. I, I took the team over where they hardly had any players and it was the season was about to start. So we had to just get a strong enough team, made it into the playoffs, got enough time to, like, get a longer contract and then start building it the way I wanted to, the, the way I wanted the team to play, the type of players I wanted to have. And so that's a good example of something that I've learned in coaching is I might have an idea of what I want to do, but I've got to win enough games to get to that point where I can start to build that. And now we've been able to do that. We've, like I say, built built a very good team, had a lot of success. Then the last window, we sold four players to Major League Soccer. Um, and in the same time, we've been consistently winning and and you know, playing good football. So I, I really like being a part of that development. You know, we've connected the first team to the youth team. We've got some young players now that come and train with us. Um, they're then training the same way with their with their youth team so that, you know, they know what we're looking for here. We're recruiting players that play a certain style, play a certain way, have certain attributes, um, and we're then developing players and selling them. Um, so it, it's really good. We've built a great scouting network. We've got lots of good relationships and contacts all around the world really now um and so those are things that i've been able to take all that knowledge and all that experience that i've gained in all these different places and put it into practice in one place which is is fantastic and obviously i know that in other situations my job might be just to be the coach um and and someone else does their other things and i have to support that and help that but in this particular case it's a broader broader job than that you mentioned kami smith Obviously, an Aberdeen Youth Academy graduate didn't quite work out from at the Dons, but he had a brilliant spell at St Mirren in a championship. Um, then went to Dundee United. Maybe didn't have the best times there, but what do you what do you think he can bring to you guys? Yeah, and, and in between, I think he did really well at St Mirren, and um, you know they got won the league, and he was one of their players of the year and things. So I think he's a, he's a guy who can really enjoy the football over here. It's a different style of play. It's not as direct. There's much more passing and movement, and I think that suits his style of play. Um, we've already seen that. He's good at getting into attacking positions and, and turning with the ball and playing forward passes um, and playing one-twos in dangerous areas. He's got good vision, good ability. So I think for him, the style of play over here in America can can really suit his strengths and give him a chance to be very successful. And I'm sure um, as he develops more and understands more of how we're playing and what we're doing and what the league's like, he'll just go from strength to strength. When you look at kind of like US soccer teams as a whole and the way they kind of market themselves, do you feel that that's something that's a real area of strength for them, say, given 
how kind of dominated like the sports markets are out there. Like in your own city, you've obviously got the Pacers and the Colts as well that you're going to be competing with, and you've you've got to try and like forge your own corner of the market almost. Yeah, it's it's just totally different here. Like back home, you know, people go go to the football because they're from that area or because their parents support them or things like that. But here, you know, there's a lot of things competing for people's attention. So, uh, yeah, so it's just a lot different. There's a lot more marketing, a lot more ticketing ideas, um, a lot more kind of special offers on this and that. Um, so, yeah, it's just a lot different. But it's it's also, I think, some of the things that they do over here could also be quite useful in Scotland and might be required to help develop the game and build it back up after such a long time of people not going to games because of COVID. So I think there's a lot of little things here that could work quite well there. What kind of things do you think would be would be transferable? For example, I think that they put together a lot a lot of work in the community with grassroots. I know that happens in Scotland, but um, but connect things like um, you know tickets to games or special packs of tickets for a certain number of games based on like kids coming out to different uh, functions or you know supporting youth clubs and that type of thing. So there's I think there's just a lot to it, and I think that. Um, just maybe more of that proactive approach as, as opposed to if the team wins people will come if the team doesn't win they won't there's a few other ways to do it like maybe some more things around the game the entertainment and things although we don't want that to go too far it, there's certain certain parts of it can be good so you've talked about Aberdeen and having an affinity with them obviously they've teamed up with Atlanta United for their strategic partnership where loan players planned, COVID's got in the way of it a bit, but they are planned to go both ways um, in the next few years. Do you think that will be beneficial for both clubs? I know some fans in, Aber- in Aberdeen have you know, questioned whether Aberdeen will become a feeder club for Atlanta essentially, but do you think there's benefits for both? Mm, not really. <laughs> nope. I mean, I know I know both leagues probably better than most people. Um, I've done a lot of work over here in the US, know Scotland really well. Um, there's only certain players that can come from the state side to Aberdeen because they have to have certain passports. And if they're not good enough to start for Atlanta, I don't think they'll be good enough to start for Aberdeen. Yeah, and that's what you've seen so far. The players that have come haven't done well, really, for Aberdeen, Gallagher and the Venezuelan kid. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it's fair. Um... I mean, I don't know how well Gallagher did, but my point is that he wasn't a main player for Atlanta. If you were able to get a main player like Almiron or Joseph Martinez, of course they would light it up. They'd be brilliant. But the players that are really top players for Atlanta, they're making three, four, five million a year <laughs> themselves. So they're not coming to Aberdeen. And the players that are good enough, let's say you take Lewis Ferguson, he would probably do well in MLS, but he's going to want to go to England or the old firm if he leaves Aberdeen. So politically correct answer is that it's a great relationship. But I don't think it's going to be a huge benefit because of those reasons that I just said. Do you think if you took the average player in MLS, not not the, the top stars, but just that, sort of, that steady level across the board, 
is it higher or lower than the Premiership at the moment? MLS is higher than the Premier League. MLS is like Championship in England. You're not going to get the middle of the road guy because he's playing every week in in MLS. You're not going to let him go. You're going to let you get a guy from the second team, and there's guys in the second team that wouldn't get a game for Indy Eleven, so they shouldn't probably get a game for Aberdeen. And is that second team level? Do you, like what? What's the USL? What What would you say that was comparable to, or is that a mix? Because I know there's like second teams and things like that, and at that level. The top teams in the USL are very good teams. They could do well in Scotland. Um, but there are some teams, depending on the week, where they don't have such a strong team or something like that, that wouldn't, you know, that would find it hard. But America, the standard's a lot higher than people think, and there's that trickles down. There's good players playing in the USL and things like that, definitely. But what I mean is, like, the actual first team starting players for an MLS team, I'm sure could do well, some of them in Scotland. Um, and there's some guys further down that could could do well in Scotland in the right situation. But the style of play is so different, and it's just a little bit, there's a lot of things that aren't the same. So I think um, USL, top USL teams, you know, Indy 11, Tampa Bay, Louisville, Phoenix, they could do very well, I think, in Scotland. They could hold their own. Um, but, you know, teams that are a bit further down the pecking order might not, might not handle it so well. But you send a Scottish team over to uh, to America to play in 35-degree heat and the American team would win. You send an American team over to Pataudry on a Wednesday night in, in January or February, Aberdeen would win. So it's just, there's lots of factors. Well, maybe not last season. <laughs> it's obviously a big summer ahead in um, in terms of Scottish football, and obviously with the Euros coming up um, next month. I mean, how how much of it will you get to see? Oh, it'll be kind of a lot of uh, obviously when they being in the middle of your season, will you will you get to see many of the games? Yeah, yeah, I'll get to see them all. I mean, I get to see more football here than I would if I was in Scotland because of the time difference and every game. There's games, every game's live. All the English games are live. The three PM kickoffs are live. Scottish games are live. Euros will be live. All the Scotland games. So yeah, definitely. Okay, I think that's probably us for this episode of Northern Goal. Uh, thank you very much, Martin, for taking the time to participate today. Cheers. Yeah, you're welcome. Hopefully the audio came through okay for you. It was really nice to speak to you. And um, anytime you want to go over anything more specific or anything, I'd be happy to happy to jump on again. But nice to meet you from a distance and wish you all the best. And thank you to you, of course, Jamie, as well. No, not a problem. If you've uh, if you've enjoyed this episode of Northern Goal, you can like and subscribe on your favourite podcast app. You can email us with any comments, questions, whatever, at northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. And finally, until next time, see you later. Hope you loved the episode. And if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.